Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. There's a famous illustration about an older fish and a younger fish and they're kind of swimming uh, and they meet and the older fish turns and says, oh, morning, how's the water? And the younger fish turns around and goes, what's water? And I want us to start this morning by thinking about the water that we are swimming in, okay? So the stuff that is so all around us we cannot even notice it. And firstly, I think um, one of the things that we don't recognise maybe as much as we could is we are living in a post-Christian culture. Um, So what that means is there is so much pull to be like the world around us, to kind of fit in. There's so much kind of temptation to slide on Jesus' teachings about self-denial or busyness or sexuality or how we use our money in a consumer society because the world just does it so different. Um, where maybe in years gone by on Sundays we'd all kind of be focusing around the church and you'd spend the whole day together in community. Now many just go to church when it fits around other stuff. And on top of living in a post-Christian culture, we live in modern society. Now there is so much good about modern society. I absolutely love that I don't have to farm my own food. I hate gardening. It is really boring. I don't want to do that. I love that I can drive my car to church this morning rather than ride a horse. That is fantastic. I've got a really skinny bum. That would be really painful. Um, But there is a lot of very, very smart people who would probably point out that modern society is also really, really dangerous. So we live in this kind of hyper-individualised world where it is all about us and our feelings are our new truth. Um, And so um, for most of us, we could probably say our relationship to our phones um, is maybe compulsive, if not full-on addictive. Um, Social media shapes so much of what we think. We're a kind of generation that are used to getting everything now, now, now. So patience is out of the window because we want that straightaway dopamine hit that we can get from our phones, social media, whatever it, it might be. Um, And we kind of, we don't even live in a world where there's busy people anymore because everyone is just busy. We are all just distracted with so much stuff going on all the time. Um, And I don't say this in any way to be critical, but I just want to call out the elephant in the room that this is the water we're swimming in. This is the world that we live in. We might not even notice it, but we are living in a culture that is all about us. So anything that doesn't feel good straight away, um, it must be bad for us. You know, be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself is a phrase I hear all the time. We live in a world that glorifies being busy, having stuff and being true to yourself, whichever one of those selves that is referring to. There is so much stuff to distract us and this is the water that we're swimming in. And it makes it, I'm sure you would probably agree, really, really hard to follow Jesus. Um, I thought I'd start with the bad news this morning, you know, a really happy place to start. I'm now going to flip more to the good news because we can, we can learn to follow Jesus. We can do it. And that is what we're looking at in this series. So this whole series is about trying to find a better way to live. It's trying to find a way to counter all of that so we can know that life to the full that Jesus brings. 
Um, now, this is part two of a two-part series. Part one was a couple of weeks ago. I hope you were here or have had a chance to listen to it. If not, some of this might be a bit new, but that's okay. Um, and these two um, messages, really, we're looking at the theory of how we change. We're looking at how we go through that process of what we're calling spiritual formation, the old-fashioned word being sanctification, and how we change to become more like Jesus, to know the life he promises. And I just want to start, as we have many times before, with the words from Matthew Um, where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And he uses this phrase yoke there. Now, yoke, um, as we've talked about in the first century, was a piece of farming equipment, um, but it was also a metaphor. So it was a metaphor for a rabbi's teachings. All rabbis would have a yoke, which was essentially their teachings. And so Jesus is almost saying here, take my teachings upon you, learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. He is telling us, black and white, his way is a better way. But we live in 2022 and we don't want to think that we need someone else's way or someone else's teaching because it's all about us and being authentic to myself. You know, I'm my own person. I'm unique. Um, And we probably kind of fail to recognise that actually who we are isn't in any way just about us. We are shaped by all the influences around us. So we're shaped by what we believe. We're shaped by who we spend our time with. We're shaped, most importantly, by what we do. And so the question we're going to look at this morning isn't really, are you being formed? Because we are all being formed. The question is, what is forming you? Who or what is shaping you? If you map your life maybe five or 10 or 50 years into the future, who are you becoming? Are you becoming someone who's even better and higher up in your career, but probably more stressed and more busy? If I look at who I want to be in 10 or 50 years' time, Jesus seems like a pretty good place, a very good place, actually, I would probably say, to start. That is who I want to be formed by. I want to learn that life to the full. And so how do we do it? Well, if you were here um, a few weeks ago, just as a very quick recap, we looked at the first step, which we said was teaching. um, And we looked at what the Bible calls your mind um, and what we probably now in our modern language call your prefrontal cortex. And so how teaching can work on that. We talked about neuroplasticity and how we can change what we believe. And by doing things like reading our Bible, being in church, reading some good books, getting a good mentor, listening to podcasts, all that teaching is crucial and it is a vital first step. But, can anyone remember the but? I know no one wants to call it. That's fine. But it isn't enough. And that's where church gets a bit difficult because this is what most of church revolves around. It revolves around teaching, but it isn't enough. Because what we think and what we believe has very, very little impact, if any impact, on our actions. Um, If what you think could transform your actions, all you would need for a perfect marriage is just to read a book on marriage. Um, I'm looking at all the husbands in the room. How's that gone for you? Um, All you would need to, you know, lose some weight is to read the Weight Watchers book and then the pounds would just drop off. It'd be magical. Um, All you would need to get rid of anxiety and worry is pick up your Bible and read Jesus' teaching that says, do not worry. And you would never worry again. How is that going for you all in the room? I imagine if you're anything like me, not great. To be really transformed, the Bible teaches us that we need to practice. Um, I've put some bookmarks out on all of your chairs that we've had from the start of the series. You'll see various verses on it. Um, The Bible teaches us that we need to practice. Why? Because practice works on our hearts. Um, So if we translated that into our modern day language, that's probably what we would now call your limbic system. Um, And essentially, when we are talking about training and working on our hearts, the primary metaphor that the Bible uses isn't about coming and listening, it's about athletics. 
If you want to run a marathon, you can't just read Runners Weekly. You can't just plan a route or talk about it. You've got to put your shoes on and go for a run. And think about all that stuff we listed at the start. Why do we need this training? It's because what we do on a regular basis, we become our habits, they change us. That's the water we're living in at the minute, that world that I described. And so actually... The more time we spend working too hard, being really busy, the more we're going to start to love that drug of achievement and accomplishment. Um, You will all know it from your own lives. The more stuff that you buy, all of a sudden, the more stuff that you want. The more you watch porn, the more it's okay to watch porn, and the more you want to watch porn. The things we do, they do something to us. They change us on the inside. Our habits change our hearts. And so I just want to give you a quick definition of the heart uh, from a guy called Smith. He says, your heart is the fulcrum of your deepest longings. It's the direction of your love. And our problem isn't really that we don't love, it's that we love too many of the wrong things and we let them drive us forward. And I've popped on there as well, um, probably one of the key verses that shaped a lot of this series, that Proverbs 4, it tells us, above all else, to guard your heart. Literally the most important thing is that we guard our hearts because the world, all that water that we're swimming in, that is trying to mess our hearts up. That is trying to take us in the wrong way. And so a key goal for each one of us, if we are apprentices of Jesus, is that we've got to take control of what we love. We've got to shape what we love. We've got to guard our hearts and focus on those hearts. And one of the quotes that kind of resonates most with me here is that we are what we love but we may not love what we think. And if you're here this morning and you're not really quite sure what you love, I just want you to ask these three questions that I've stolen from Andy Brownlee. Uh, I can't claim the originality here. But Andy, I remember preaching... Oh, that should be one, two, three. I've not done a good job of that, have I? Um, And so, oh well. Um, Andy brought these questions to us once and he said, number one, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? And what do you worry about the most? Those three questions will tell you so much more about what you love than what you think you love or what you want to love. And so the question that uh, we kind of started to tease out a couple of weeks ago was how do we change our hearts? How do we change our limbic systems to orientate them to the way God designed us to be? How do we change what we love? Because the world is trying to take us in the wrong direction. And the answer to that is that we change our habits. And so, where is Dan? I'm going to ask Dan to come and join me. Now, I've chosen Dan because I know Dan has absolutely zero musical ability. Um, And so he was a bit of a safe bet for this illustration. So I'm going to ask Dan to stand at the piano for us. And Dan, could you please play us Moonlight Sonata? Where's the DJ button? Uh, (laughs) So we all know Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, one of my favourite pieces. I mean, that actually sounded better than I was expecting you to sound, to be fair. I think he deserves some credit there. I think we can all probably accept that... No, I mean, Dan's quite cocky. He probably believes he can play Moonlight Sonata. But let's be honest, we all know, Dan, that you cannot play Moonlight Sonata. But what about... What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you something called a scale. So this is a C. Find a C. They're not on fish. On fish? Scales. Oh, yeah. Maybe... Ah, oh, it's linking to my first point. Very clever. So find a C. And I just want you to... We're going to do what's called a C major scale. You can take a seat now. You can take a seat now. So, 
what I want to show is Dan, for all his inability with music, he cannot play Moonlight Sonata. If we ask him to get up and play some of Beethoven's finest, he has got no chance. But if we asked him to do a simple scale, would you all agree Dan could do that? Yeah, yeah that was quite straightforward for Dan. And so what I would probably then do after that is maybe teach you some more difficult scales. We'd get some sharps and some flats. We'd maybe do some arpeggios, some simple songs, some more difficult songs. And if we kept going on that process, Dan would eventually be able to play, hopefully, we'll see, depends how good he is, uh, Beethoven's finest piece, Moonlight Sonata. And we could have said with Dan, actually, for him to try and play that was just too hard. He's not going to be able to do it. And if we got him up again now and just told him to try really, really, really hard... He isn't going to be able to play any Beethoven for us. And controversially, again, we'll come back to it, but if we all prayed for Dan to be able to play Moonlight Sonata, I am putting my money on the fact that he still is not able to play any of Beethoven's music. And it is the exact same in our apprenticeship to Jesus. Okay, over and over, Jesus and the writers of the New Testament talk about practice and training. And the question that we're going to finish today looking at is, what is it that we are practising? And if you're writing your notes, if you've got your little practice in the way book, what I want you to write down is that what scales are to learning piano, the spiritual disciplines are to learning how we can follow Jesus. What scales are to learning piano, the spiritual disciplines are to learning how to follow Jesus. Think of it, you know, the word disciple. Um, The word disciple is something that many of us will claim to be. We will claim to be apprentices and tablet. It comes from the word discipline. And so the spiritual disciplines and the practices of Jesus are how we practice as apprentices of Jesus. You know, when Paul talks about running the race, this is our training schedule. So I've got a list behind me um, of, um, now there's no real official list of the spiritual disciplines, because basically it is anything that comes uh, from the lifestyle, the ministry or the teaching of Jesus. But just have a look um, at some of the things there. And as you're looking, I just want to flick us um, to a definition of what a discipline is. I just want us to have a think. Um, And the definition of a discipline is a discipline is any activity that I can do by direct effort, i.e. I can do it at the moment, which will eventually allow me to do something I currently can't do by direct effort. Now, there's some quite meaty language in that that's quite difficult to understand. So again, let's come back to Dan. Dan can't play Moonlight Sonata right now. It's not within his ability, but he can play scales. He can do the scales and he can get better at them. And if he keeps practicing, eventually he will be able to do something that he currently cannot do. And what scales are to learning piano, what track works out are to to running a marathon, that's what the spiritual disciplines are to helping us follow Jesus. A discipline helps you get somewhere that you want to be. They help you train and access power, but... This is where the spiritual disciplines get even better. Because unlike Dan kind of just learning to play piano in his own strength, what the spiritual disciplines do is help us access the power of the Holy Spirit. So what makes a spiritual discipline different, the whole purpose of them, isn't that we do more in our own strength, that we can just do it for ourselves. The purpose is they help us get out of our own heads, focusing less on ourselves and more on Jesus. And as we gradually do that, as we gradually learn to abide in him, rather than being focused on ourselves, they open us up to the Holy Spirit doing a work in us. And so we're operating no longer in our own strength, but more and more and more by the power of the Holy Spirit. Less and less about us and more and more focused on Jesus. Where do you want me today? What do you want me to do today? 
Now, we looked very early on in this series at what we call the fruits of the Spirit, so love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. This is the stuff that I think we all want in our lives. We all want more self-control. We all want more peace and more joy. But actually, you will see there is nowhere in the Bible that it tells us that we should practice these things. Like Dan um, trying to play Moonlight Sonata, he can't just make those things happen. I can go out and try really hard and just have a load of self-control. And then as soon as I get busy or as soon as I get tired, it goes down the pan. All of you will have tried it. How often have you gone out and just tried not to worry? Just tried not to be anxious? We can't. And the Bible never instructs us to train in this. What the Bible says, all the Bible says, about what we should do about the fruits of the Spirit is that we abide. That we learn and we practice and we train to walk in the Spirit. And that's what the spiritual disciplines do. That's how we practice to see more of these fruits in our lives. That we just learn to abide, to be, to make less of us and more of God. And as we do that, the product of that is we become more filled by the Spirit and we see more of these fruits in our lives. And so in the little time that we have got left, um, I just want to focus really practically on how we can do it. So I've got the kind of two weird sermons in the series where it's all very practical about how we change. Um, And I've put some examples of the spiritual disciplines and I've put them into a grid um, to try and help us get our heads around it a bit more. And I've split it into stuff that you do on your own, um, alone, and stuff that we do together in community. Um, Stuff of abstinence, so where we're giving something up, and stuff um, uh, practices or disciplines of engagement where we are taking something on. And I just want to, before we dive in, dispel some myths. So myth number one, um, the spiritual disciplines are all purely, inverted commas, spiritual. Um, And the reason I've split the grid up like that is to show us, because often when we think of spiritual disciplines, we think about that top left-hand corner. We think about kind of going off on your own, giving things up like a monk in the wilderness. Um, And we forget all of these things are just as spiritual as each other. When Paul talks to us in 1 Corinthians 9, um, he essentially makes the point that the focal point of our relationship to Jesus is our body for Paul. That all of this stuff is just as spiritual as any other practice. And if we want to be disciples of Jesus and apprentices of Jesus, we need a balanced approach. We can't just lock ourselves off in a monastery. But we also can't just do everything down in the bottom right. It is a balanced approach. Okay, myth number two, practicing the spiritual disciplines helps us earn God's love. Um, Now, I'm not going to dwell on this one because I spent a lot of time on it a couple of weeks ago. Um, And also, I don't really think in our church or the Western church generally, we have much of a problem of like, oh, you know, I'm just fasting six times a week to earn God's love. I don't think that's something many of us struggle with. But in a nutshell, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we are not trying to earn anything. Okay, we are loved and we are saved because of what Jesus did for us. Nothing to do with what we do. What we are trying to do in this series is we're trying to find a better way to live. Okay, myth number three, prayer is enough. I'm waiting for the dodgy, dodgy faces across the room. Has our site leader just told us that prayer doesn't work? Absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying. If God wanted to just download an incredible lifelong peace inside of you, he absolutely could do that. But 99.999% of the time, it is not how God chooses to work. As the saying goes, without him, we can't, but without us, he won't. 
And I think it's, a, it's an interesting one I pulled out because it's something we pray for a lot. Oh God, I just, I need you to give me more peace right now. Oh God, give me more patience in this situation. And I think praying those prayers is a fantastic thing to do. I think it is a great place to start. But life isn't like the Matrix. Um, so you all know the scene where Keanu Reeves and he asked Trinity to like download how to fly a helicopter into his head and then all of a sudden he can just fly a helicopter. Um, I wish that was true. I loved Keanu Reeves as a child and, and that's who I wanted to be. Um, that is very cool, but it is not how life works. We can't just download patience or joy or contentment like God's some sort of cosmic vending machine who just gives us what we want whenever we need it. If he wanted to, he could. But actually, if you read scripture and you look, this is not how God chooses to build our character. Without him, we can't. It is all about the Holy Spirit transforming us. But without us, he won't. And so prayer is an amazing place to start. But I will say it, prayer on its own isn't enough to see you change. It isn't enough to transform your heart. As Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9, your body is a key point in your focal relationship. The stuff that you do, it does something to you. We are transformed when we actively pursue opening ourselves up to the spirit through practices of both mind and body, which brings me to number four, which is you can just do the ones of these that you enjoy. So if you are super extroverted, which I know there is quite a few people in here, I'm definitely one of those people, you probably need more time in community, eating together, than maybe somebody else. Rather than maybe coming to community once or twice a week, like the introverts would maybe prefer to do, an extrovert like me probably needs five or six nights a week with people eating food and going out and doing stuff. Okay, It is so important that you know which of these make you come alive, because that is the way God made you to be. It is so, so important you know what makes you come alive and you practice what makes you come alive, but you will often also find your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. And so for me, I love this bottom right corner. I love being in church with everyone. I love doing justice. I love eating together with people and kind of sharing time. That's where I get my energy. I'm an extrovert. But it means my weakness is that I'm too busy. The biggest barrier to my relationship with Jesus is that I am too busy. And so if I want to grow in my abiding, if I want to learn to be more walking in step with Jesus rather than going my own way, what I actually need is I need solitude and I need silence and I need to slow down and practice Sabbath. Those are the disciplines that will transform my walk the most. And this is really hard with the water that we're swimming in because we live in a culture where it is all about following your feelings you know do what feels authentic to me just want to be true to myself but the problem with that is our feelings aren't always right and with as much love as possible I love every single person in this room I really do please don't be true to yourself because who we all are is pretty messed up And it changes on a regular basis. I do not want to be true to the worst parts of me. I really, really don't. And often what we see in transformation and in change is nine times out of ten, your behaviour comes before your feelings. Your behaviour changes your feelings. But if we just listen to our feelings, we are heading down a dangerous, dangerous path. Again, I want to come back to Dan on the piano. Um, I don't know if any of you play piano, but when you start learning piano and you practice your scales and your chords and your arpeggios, oh my word, it is boring. 
It is so, so boring. Um, nobody enjoys starting to learn piano at the start. Anyone who said they did is a liar. Um, and it's tough, but as you start to pick it up more, as you start to play some simple songs, as you start to play some nicer songs, it becomes a joy. For me now, my time with my piano at the end of the day when I'm tired, it's my chill-out time. It's my joy. It's what gives me life. And a lot of these practices can feel the same. When we start reading our Bibles, and not, sometimes not even when we start, Sometimes after years and years and years, it can feel like hard work. And some days, some of these things are boring and they are hard. I know it's controversial to say that from the front of church, but they are. It's not easy. But over time, what they are doing is they are changing you and transforming you. They are changing and transforming your feelings. So that as we practice over years and decades, these things will become the source of our life and our joy and our peace. But it's not easy at the start, and sometimes we have to power through. And so I want to encourage you, please do what makes you come alive. That is so important. Do the stuff that makes you feel, oh, yes. But if you want to see change and you want to see transformation, you probably most need to train in those practices that are hardest for you, the ones that come most difficultly, the ones that you absolutely hate. About two years ago, um, after reading the verses in Matthew, I shared this with you at the start of the series, um, I was hit by a ton of bricks. And I realised I just wasn't in a good place. And I, 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 I kind of managed to work out through doing a lot of the practice in the way stuff that my biggest barrier to my relationship with Jesus was I was too busy. And that we talk a lot in church about um, various passages in this, but I didn't know how to change. I didn't know what to do about that. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to train and I'm going to pick up some of these practices. And I decided I was going to start with the practice of Sabbath. And so a couple of years ago, I put a day in my diary once a week. It went in in purple, so it stood out. Um, And if I was working on a Sunday, because I don't have full control over my shifts, I would make sure another day was fixed in in its place. Um, And I made some rules. And so my rules were... Anything I did on that day had to help me stop or rest or worship or delight. And so for me, that was doing no medical work. It was doing no number 11 work, which is the charity that I run. Um, It meant not doing jobs around the house. Stuff like just getting my washing on, because really that's just work. It's just stuff I'm not paid for. Um, And instead, I tried to spend time with Jesus in my Bible, um, just resting, getting a book, gin and tonic on the sofa, um, but also doing the stuff that helps me delight. So going out, having meals with people, having people around for food, going for a walk, playing games, all that sort of stuff. And at first, some elements of it were really, really hard. Okay, so I tried putting my phone away. Um, but I was still just thinking about all the texts and the emails that I needed to reply to because I was addicted to accomplishment and getting stuff done and being busy. I just hated the fact that I wasn't getting things done when there were so many things on my to-do list. And we've all got so many things on our to-do list. But with encouragement and probably quite a lot of shouting at from my mentor, um, I decided to power through. And now Sabbath is the best day of my week. Oh my word, I love it. I love a day where the pressure comes off and I can just joy and delight. But kind of, let's be honest, that's probably what we all expected. If I spend a day just, you know, eating food with people, resting with a gin and tonic, it's going to be a good day. I expected that to happen. But what I didn't expect was that it has changed and transformed the way I live the other six days. Now, I am a long way from perfect. I am so far from nailing this. So please don't hear that I've got this down because I don't. But what I've seen is it's changed my feelings. 
So I don't love the kind of feeling of being a successful CEO anymore. I'm less bothered by that. I don't love as much getting stuff done and being accomplished and succeeding and nailing this and nailing that. And I'm starting to become more bothered by just finding Jesus and learning how to abide. Now, I do not have it down, but I want to encourage you. And the reason I share this is not because I'm perfect. I am far from it. But I have seen how training in the practices that I found hardest, for me, that was Sabbath. It was slowing down. It was making sure I do my quiet times and read my Bible every morning, even if I'm busy. I have seen how these practices open us up to life with Jesus, how they open us up to that life to the full, how they open us up to the Holy Spirit. Still have good days and bad days, but I am seeing over the last years, the bad days just aren't quite as bad. And there is more of a steady contentment, a peace that I never had before. And I want more of that. I want so much more of that. And in this whole learning to lead a church thing, because let's be honest, I'm still learning and doing a terrible job most days. Um, I talk to so many of you in this church, so many of you who are facing some really, really tough stuff, some really difficult stuff that actually genuinely breaks my heart. It really, really does. And I want to be able to stand here and give you all the answers from, you know, my clever brain that I've generated this amazing solution and I can't because I don't have the answers. But take it from someone, I used to live life full of anxiety and worry and stress constantly consuming me the world does not have answers to the problems that we are battling with Jesus is the only way to that freedom and that life and don't we all need some more of that freedom and that life 